Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Seattle to Unknown. I'm Sarah. I'm Melinda. And this is your friendly local travel podcast. Are we local? Uh, for a lot of people. Are we going with the global citizen thing still? <laughs> well, are we not? We are the world. We are the children. Wait, 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 wait. This may be a first. You are the one who started the singing. I don't know if that's a first or not, but okay. Well, I say it is. That doesn't mean anything. Sure it does. I am the authority. We, no. Good lord, no. Sweet lime green water bottle. Where's mine? Right? It was a gift from a network somewhere in South America. They gave it to our our marketing person, and the marketing person brought it back. And I kind of sort of won it in a game. So you cheated and stole it? It was not really quite as much of a game as they thought it was. Oh, did you cheat? No, they basically made us go in a circle and tell everyone what our favorite feedback had been over the last week. And my favorite feedback was attributed to the 30 or so people who told me, hey, have you tried wearing sunscreen? You should probably wear sunscreen. But like, no, really. Yeah, exactly. But that is our nice segue into cocktails. My cocktail this week in my lime green bottle is a lime drink. What's a lime drink? You know, Shark Tank? Yes. Germany has their own version that roughly translates to the lion's den. Oh, I was hoping it'd be the crab shack or something like kind of pathetic sounding. No, but now I want to make a spinoff of crappy inventions called the crab shack. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) I invented this. Like, ma'am, that's that's a toothpick. Yeah, but it's special. But I made the toothpick, you guys. It started out from a tree this big. (laughs) That doesn't seem cost effective. Well, we do sell it for $1,000 per toothpick. We've only made one so far. (laughs) Nobody wants to buy it, oddly enough. Don't know what's wrong. One of the products that they had on their show is called Water Drop. And it's flavor tablets that you put into your drinks. And I'd seen them before and it didn't super duper appeal to me because, you know, water tastes pretty good by itself. But I saw it today and it was a limited edition version that's... Uh, limette and boabab flavored which what anytime something's tree flavored you have to try it right that's a tree yes learn something new it's just a little cube that you drop in water and it fizzes and then leaves things flavored but i misread the price i think i was looking at the sticker for the thing next to it because i thought 2.99 for 12 tablets sure no big deal it was (laughs) 6.99 For how many tablets? 12. Ouch. Yeah, but I was doing self-checkout and the cashier had already come over to help me twice because it hadn't been working. So I just went with it. I figured maybe it'll be really, really good. It is not. It's just vaguely flavored water. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. So uh, not not going on my recommendations list. I guess we learned a very important uh, lesson today. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. So, what you got going this week for drinks? Water. But, in all fairness, I did last night buy a bottle of the, I guess the brand would be Free, F-R-E, in Merlot. It's one that had the the alcohol removed. Why? I don't know. I was curious on what it tastes like. So, it's not, it feels like you're drinking juice, but a dry juice, and it doesn't have as strong of flavors as normal glass of wine i don't know i'm not like a big marlowe fan or anything but yeah it was i mean it's not bad it's definitely something that's different interesting change of pace huh 
I'm intrigued, but also not fully certain who that's for. I don't know. Well, I mean, the nice thing is you kind of get a glass of wine, but you don't have to worry about feeling shitty in the morning. I don't get the wine headaches that a lot of people get, but... Mm, Look at me. Look at me. I don't get wine overs. I'm fancy. You know what? I've got one thing going for me. Do not minimize it. (laughs) Wine overs are awful. If you keep drinking till the morning, you never have that problem. No, you just have a wine over later on in the afternoon, and it's it's god-awful. I don't care who you are, wine overs are way worse than a normal hangover. My apologies to your brain, but I don't have this problem. It's literally the one problem I don't have. But, I don't know, it I, it's not bad. It, it's worth a try, I guess, if you're kind of wanting something. But You want a glass of wine, but maybe you have an early morning... It's a decent substitute. It's not quite the same, but it's still, it's, it's okay. It's, not, it's way better than canned wine. Probably true. I'll, I'll take your word on that one. It is way better than canned wine. Don't get the can, just get the alcohol-free one. Get it in a box. Save yourself some tea. So, do you have any update this week? <sighs> Aside from your non-alcoholic wine consumption? No, I don't think so i will next week there's stuff in the works it's just not coming up yet things are uneventful things are happening between now and the next episode so come back next week to see what i've done with my life (laughs) besides gone to work cliffhanger what will come next that's when we need like the two title options kind of like in rocky and bullwinkle <laughs> what about you? Any updates? My update is that I went on the mystery trip with my coworkers. It was, as we suspected, a trip to Austria, and it was up in the Alps, which was super cool because I had not seen any of the Alps before. Loser. I know, right? I've been in Germany how long and I haven't seen the Alps? Major loser. But they are, as told, there? quite high and very pointy. Oh my gosh, they really do exist? And there was snow on the ground. And it's September. Because, you know, really high. Yeah. Well, there was very little of it, but they had said it snowed for the first time the week before. Like the first time ever or the first time this year? Yes. The first time in all of human history. The Alps had never seen snow before. Everyone there had just been skiing on rocks. Oh, I thought they just, you know, imported it. (laughs) They bring it over from Alaska and just dump it by helicopter. Hey, man, wasn't it the Vancouver Winter Olympics where they had to like bring in snow because there wasn't enough snow? I think that might have been Sochi, but Vancouver may have done it as well. I know Sochi definitely did, though. I don't know. I know sometimes there's some winter fails. Yeah. Well, speaking of fails, we... I love this topic right now so much. Let's talk (laughs) about your failures. We should just... We should get rid of the cocktail section and just call it Sarah Fails. What did Sarah done goof this week? Well, Sarah done goofed in one of the stupidest ways possible. So when we were packing for this trip, they said, bring mittens, bring scarves, bring hats. It's going to be very, very cold. Prepare to layer a lot. And I did. I prepared to layer a lot because everyone says, sure, it's cool down in the valley where our chalets are. But when we get up into the mountains, it's going to be freezing. And on the morning of the first full day, we had a three to four hour hike. And they said, layer, 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 layer. Put on everything you own, basically. It's going to be freezing. We get up there, and lo and behold, it's not freezing. It is, in fact, very, very, very fucking warm. And I had put sunscreen on my face. I had put it on my arms. I had put it on my ankles. But I didn't put it on 
areas that were covered by my shirt. Well, we got up there and immediately people start stripping layers off because it is really hot. I think it was around 95 degrees and my shoulders, which don't generally see a whole lot of the sun, were not prepared for that level of heat. And when we got back down the mountain at the end, I had a weeping, blistery sunburn. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Second degree, but teetering on the edge of third, because there are definitely singed black spots. You know, at the point where you started smelling like cooking flesh, you probably should have put your layers back. Do you think I can smell anything? I would hope you would be able to smell like your flesh burning right next to your face, but (laughs) apparently you proved that wrong. Yep, guess not. Everybody else is like, man, I'm so hungry. It smells like burgers up here. (laughs) Mm, Bacon. (laughs) Oh, gross. Well, and there was a big old snafu with the food that day so there was a bagel snafu a big old snafu okay and when we got down from the mountain everybody was expecting that we would be served schnitzel because we were told there would be schnitzel because what else do you eat after hiking in the alps Wiener schnitzel god so stereotypical sounding when we got there they had in fact run out of food so we stood in line for two hours and we're told when you get up there, you'll get schnitzel. Don't worry. No, no, you should worry if it's two hours long. Well, they put 850 people through that line and we were in the last 50. Womp womp. And when we got up there, they had tomatoes in the salad bar, spaghetti and tomato sauce. There were also some French fries, but that's not exactly a meal. Could be if you toss it in with everything else. Get creative. And they lit- they ran out of water. There was not even water for us. Yeah. That's pretty messed up to be like, hey, let's go exert ourselves on a mountain and then not eat. That was quite the adventure. Nothing says rewarding healthy meal after a long hike than spaghetti. And now you have sad flesh. Yeah, and it was not a short hike. I think it came in at six miles. And this is not a, a jaunt through the woods. This is hiking upwards yes it is there's a pretty extreme elevation change so that was my fun day and then i spent the rest of the weekend nursing a sunburn and don't get me wrong it was a fun trip and i'm really thankful that i work for a place that gives you free trips to the alps but the food situation was a little dire at times especially for the poor vegan kids who went on the hike and then they got down and they're like you can have tomatoes you can't have spaghetti as egg in the noodles Oh, I guess most times. And dinner on the last night for the vegans was rice. Oh, that's not even a complete protein. Where's the beans? (laughs) Nope, just rice. Yikes. Major yikes. Guys, you have to feed people. I think the vendors just did not fully grasp the size of our group and their demands. But grief. Could have gotten like Lord of the Flies. Someone could have been smashed by a boulder. Honestly, there were times when I thought it was going to come to this point where like the MC for the event is running around dropping French fries into people's mouths while they waited for spaghetti because people are getting irritable. He goes, no, no, no. Here's some fries. Eat. Be happy. Please don't eat each other. I don't want to be the first to die. This is not the daughter party. But yeah, it was fun. There were just some some issues that were not overcome major issues food's important yeah a little bit but moving on like it wasn't so bad it was just occasionally unpleasant nobody Nobody died died. i just burned my shoulder off except for like five layers of your skin and my sunscreen mysteriously vanished otherwise i would have put it on but anyway what is our new story this week well 
If you thought you had a bad trip. Uh, uh oh. Um. So the headline of the news story that I picked is Couple recounts drama of crash landing hot air balloon after losing pilot. How do you lose a pilot? There's not a whole lot of place to go. Oh, let's talk about this. So there was this nice couple from Kentucky, Tom and Shauna. And they were planning on enjoying a relaxing sightseeing tour of Las Vegas from a hot air balloon. You know, hot air balloon sounds fun. All the festivals with all of them. It looks really cool going up in one. Sounds fun. But, you know, there's you're kind of subject to the wind. There's only so much you can do to pilot them, too. Uh-huh. I'm scared. Where is this going? So, so their delightful day turned into a nightmare because... Their hot air balloon ended up crash landing in the desert and it ejected the pilot and I guess some of the other passengers because it was more than just them and they were left in the balloon like by themselves. How how does it eject them? Is this like a James Bond air balloon that has ejector seats? Because if so, that's awesome. I don't think there's seats. So there's no ejector seats in a hot air balloon, but... Shauna described it as being in a really bad car crash. There was not a hard landing. It just felt like a car crash. And this happened on September 12th. Several passengers and the pilot were thrown from the gondola. Mm-hmm. Others were dragged for more than half a mile. Ah. And in the picture, you can see drag marks of the basket, the gondola, if you will, in the desert, which is freaking nuts. So I'm going to guess that they probably bobbed. And that's how people got thrown. They hit the ground and people just went bloop right out the sides. Oh, no. Fortunately for the couple, Tom was kind of paying attention on how the pilot was operating the balloon. And there's this red cord that if you pulled it, it opens up the top and lets out more of the hot air. So you'll come down. So he did that a couple times to actually like get them to go Mm -hmm. down and hit the ground. But the picture of the basket, it's sideways. There's drag marks. In the desert. It's aye, aye, aye. nuts. Yeah. And then once they finally landed, they had to be like, oh, wait, where's the pilot? Where's everybody else? Oh, no. I think one person ended up in critical critical condition. The couple ended up with, she ended up with a broken ankle and a femur and a punctured lung. And he ended up with a lot of broken bones in his right hand. Holy crap. Yeah. So I didn't know I needed to be afraid of hot air balloons. Yeah, I, they're they're not quite sure what caused the crash. That's so that's still under investigation. But yikes, everybody survived, which is good. But that's, that's just freaking good, gnarly, but terrifying. Yeah. So maybe I'll go to like one of the hot air balloon festivals and stay on the ground. Yeah, as someone who's slightly afraid of heights, I don't know that I would ever do a hot air balloon, but seeing or hearing this makes me think okay now i definitely won't do it so maybe not yeah yeah well i mean it kind of sounds cool to be floating around like that but um that's cool i'll just i'll just watch them from below still if you're ever um in dire situations i guess pull the red cord (laughs) and i'll lower you maybe not just like pull on it really hard you know, a couple, couple good pulls, let you come down so, you, you know, you safely make it in not an abrupt way. But out of all the things you might imagine happening in a hot air balloon, having the pilot suddenly not be there is not one of them. 
anytime you're in something and the person that's supposed to be operating things is suddenly gone, that's not okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe they get sick or something happens to them and they like they can't operate the hot air balloon, but you don't expect them to just not be there. Oh, you guys seem to be doing great. I'm going to peace out. See you guys when you land. It just jumps out with a parachute. Yeah, hot air balloons. Maybe not high on my list of to-dos. Or maybe not in Vegas? Yeah, I feel like it would probably be safe in places like New Mexico or Cappadocia where they have these hot air balloon festivals. I don't know. But I don't know if I'd pay a random person in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. There's still no guarantee. (laughs) Do you need a license to fly a hot air balloon? Probably, right? Check the credentials before you go. I feel like if I went in to get a license for, like, rollerblades, they would still you, not give it to You, specifically? Yes. You should have a license to operate any vehicle of any sort before you operate a hot air balloon. Look, we'll give you a tricycle with training wheels. How that works, we don't know, but it's literally the only vehicle we'll let you drive. Do you put training wheels on the front wheel? Or the solo wheel, wherever that is? Yes. For me, yes. Good grief. Good luck with that. Thank you. So, for this week's episode, we are talking about preparing for your first international trip, especially if you are particularly nervous about taking this first trip. And this is literally your first international trip. Yes. And by you, she means the audience, not me. I have been on international trips. No, I mean, Sarah, I think this is good for you to hear. Um, hey, did you know what the first step is that you should probably do before you go on an international trip? Uh, smack your travel buddy? Ooh, um, pass. No, you should get a passport (laughs) so you can actually legally leave and land in other countries and explore them. If you are a U.S. citizen, the only places you can go without a passport are U.S. territories like Guam or Puerto Rico or whatnot. Do not get caught off guard. Or the U.S. Virgin Islands... Or the U.S. Virgin Islands. There's lots of commercials for travel there. and They're like, you don't need a passport as a U.S. citizen. It's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so your number one thing. You have this grand scheme. You're going to go on an international trip. Start with getting your passport. And you need to give yourself a long enough timeline So it's not rushed, you're not panicked because you have everything booked, but you have no way to legally enter this other country. Yeah, I would, before you do anything else, get your passport. There's something super terrifying, well, not super terrifying. There's something unpleasant about the feeling of, oh, I've paid for something, but I'm not certain I can get there. Especially if it's your first time out the gate. Make sure you've got your passport in your hand so you're ready to go. Yep, so... Print off your application, fill it out, get your really horrible looking mugshot pictures, and find an office that uh, will process it. Make sure you look up how and how much the fees are going to be, because certain places you have to pay for like the actual passport and like with a certain type of payment but you can pay the fees with you know debit or cash or something some of them are a little bit picky so make sure before you make your appointment to go in and get this taken care of that you know how you're paying your fees and about how much you should be expecting to pay yep 
And while it's not difficult to get a passport, it does take a lot of time for the first one, more so than it would be for just a renewal. So I think depending on the time of year, there's more passport applications that are being processed. So that's going to take a little bit longer. So keep that in mind. Give yourself plenty of time before your trip to get your passport. Because your passport is good for 10 years, there's no sense in trying to like get it as close to your departure as possible so that you're maximizing the amount of time you get to use it. It doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Just get it and be ready long in advance of when you plan on departing. When you renew it, you get a new picture, right? Yes. Okay, good. I would like a new picture. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Then uh, maybe after you've, you've got your ducks in a row and you got your passport in your hands, because you know you're approved, everything came through the mail, that's probably a good time to start thinking about booking your tickets. And if you're feeling a little anxious, you may decide to go with a, a group tour or to a country where your language is spoken, so it's a little bit easier. Or if you're really, really, really your first experience abroad, um, yeah, there's no shame in taking it easy. Going somewhere that's a little bit easier to communicate, going with a group so someone else can, you know, kind of show you the highlights without you having to stress too much about missing anything. So there are a bunch of different schools of thought about when you should book your tickets and everybody's going to tell you different things. None of them are wholly true or wholly applicable every single time. So I would, about six months before you plan on going on your trip, find your best price and just book it. Don't stress too much about it. Like you won't, your first time off the bat, you're not going to know how to game the system and get the best prices. And I think the stress of waiting for an incredible price is maybe not worth it. I would rather know that I can go than spend weeks tormenting myself trying to find the best price. Yeah, and I don't think waiting is necessarily the answer either. That could screw you over just as much as buying it now. And some airlines have a thing where, like, if the price of that flight goes down, they might reimburse you, so. Yeah, I would. It's kind of a no big deal sometimes. In the pie chart of most important things to do, or the most stressful things to do for a trip, I'd say 50% is just finding out how you're going to get there. So eliminate that stress, get it booked, and then you can start to do the enjoyable parts of the process. And with that, I would say once you've booked your flights, stop looking you're locked in you're going to go i know when i first booked flights i'd be like oh look look at how much better of a deal i got the prices went up and then every once in a while they'd go down and i'd feel like crap once it's booked it does not matter there's nothing you can do about it so just let it go oh yeah yeah chances are it's not the price is not going to go down. And most likely, you probably got a good deal. You know, if it's reasonable, it's within the budget of what you're wanting to pay, it's a good deal for you, regardless of what could come up. And why keep looking when you already have it done? The longer you wait, the higher it's going to get. So just book it, let it go, and let it be. Yeah. 
And if this really is your first trip and you're really planning on going with someone else or like a few friends and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be surprised if they back out when push comes to shove because maybe they're not ready to actually go. Maybe it's not really the vacation they want to spend the money on or life has happened and they don't have the money to go on it now. So, you know, bear that in mind. A verbal commitment to travel I know I've had tons and tons of people tell me, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll totally go here. And then it doesn't always actualize. If it's your first trip, you might not necessarily see that pattern yet. But the more you travel, it will crop up more and more. It's not that people don't want to go. It's not that they... Shit happens. And sometimes an idea you're bouncing off of each other sounds great. And then when you go to actually make it happen, it doesn't materialize. It happens just anticipate that it might happen and make sure that if you plan to go somewhere with someone that you split everybody pays for their share so nobody is left covering for the other when someone ultimately backs out or be okay with the fact that your five person group might dwindle down yeah or you might be going solo and if it just don't put the bill for everything anticipate the best or hope for the best but anticipate the worst <laughs> So anticipate the best, hope for the worst. <laughs> God, I hope they all cancel. This will be the best trip by myself ever. And I made them plan for it. Actually, that doesn't, that, I mean, depending on how that goes, if you made everybody help plan the ultimate trip somewhere and they all back out and it's just you, that doesn't necessarily sound bad. No, it really doesn't. Plus, if you booked a room for five people and suddenly it's all yours, that sounds pretty sweet. Unless you're paying for that big ass room by yourself. That does not sound sweet. This is true. So what I meant to say was hope for the best. Hope that everybody who says they want to come comes, but anticipate that they, you might be alone on this. Or a very small party. Because it happens. It happens a lot. I don't know how many times a week I see someone say, hey, I planned this vacation, but my ex-best friend canceled and now I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, you can, you have options, but... If you really want to do it, just go. <laughs> go. Go. Yeah. Yep. You should just go. And then it. after you have your tickets booked, Enjoy. that's when you should start applying for visas if you need them. You might not. Do a little research. See what you need. And if you do need visas, apply for them. Yes. Definitely apply for them. Don't get yourself in trouble. And just know that some visas are a little bit more to get than others. Yeah. Depending on where you're headed. Which is why I definitely, it sounds a little crazy to some people, but I still recommend book six months in advance because that will buy you enough time to fill in the details that might be a little bit more challenging your first attempt than they would be years down the road when you're more experienced. And you also don't want to be waiting for the 11th hour to see if you can actually go on this trip. You should not be going to the airport and be like, I don't know if I can get in. <laughs> and I know it seems counterintuitive to book your tickets and then apply for your visas, but many visas need proof that you plan on entering and then exiting the country. And you can't just say, well, these are the, my dates. And like, you need to send them an actual itinerary. Yeah, they want hard copy proof that you are only visiting and not plan on staying forever without doing the proper paperwork and whatnot. So bear that in mind. Yeah. And again, some are going to be a little bit more involved than others. China and Russia, for instance, are both challenging to get. For Russia, you have to have a letter from someone in Russia who's saying that they will be held responsible for you. If you enter the country, and I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody living in Russia. 
that would be kind of challenging for me to get. It's doable, but you might need some assistance. So bear that in mind. Yep. And then that's kind of the major stuff. I mean, that's the the book, the important, the must-haves. So once you get all of those things done, you don't have to stress as much. It's just doing the little things, like finding luggage that you like. You could be like Sarah, where you have to get 50 different things and try them out before you find something that works better. Or you can get lucky and find something right off the bat, like me. Well, not right off the bat. It only took me two tries. Yeah, I was going to say, it was not your first suitcase that you loved. No, it was not. It definitely was not. But keep in mind that luggage comes in all shapes and sizes, and you got to try it out. And they all have different intended purposes. Yeah. If you want to hear more about backpacks versus suitcases, don't forget to listen to episode two, where Sarah finds out she's a woo girl. Yep. I am a woo girl. Can't you tell? Yes, you are. About like once an episode. Woo! Oh, my voice is so hoarse that I can't do that. About once an episode, we're reminded. (laughs) But yeah, um, talk about backpacks and suitcases. We won't bore you here. Just remember, it's it may not be a one and done. It might be a process or it might be a saga. Yep. (laughs) My process of finding a backpack saga could literally fill the whole of Lord of the Rings. That's why it's a saga. With the Hobbit and the appendices. Mine was a process. Yours is the saga. Work with me here. When they make a movie out of my life, there will be eight movies just dedicated to Viggo Mortensen as me trying to find a backpack. God, I'm just picturing him running around the mountains with the hobbits looking really distressed. They've taken the hobbits to Isengard. Oh, God. (laughs) Now that we're in the easier part, you've got the, the more scary part. If you would like... Totally optionals to make things a little bit a little bit more comfortable and easier. Um, you try learning simple phrases and pleasantries in the language of the places that you're going to. Hello, goodbye, please and thank you will get you far. And it it doesn't imply that you understand the language. You know what I mean? But it implies that you care enough to meet them halfway, you know? Yeah, try and be polite. I don't know a lot of a lot of languages, but please and thank you, hello, goodbye are ones that are usually the easier ones to pick up. And it kind of shows, hey, I'm trying. I'm sorry. I don't understand. It shows you care. And they can pick up that your pronunciation so awful. I must try and speak to you in English. And honestly, I don't think I think locals appreciate it because when you sound a little silly, it brings a little joy to their day. <laughs> Oh, oh, I see you're what cute. you're doing. You're trying. I think it's cute. I appreciate it. But one of the things when I first started traveling outside of the US or Germany was I just, I really wanted to show off. Oh, I know how to say this. I can ask for directions, blah, blah, blah. But it really quickly occurred to me, oh, sure, I can say, how do I get here in Spanish? But you know what I can't do? I can't understand the reply. So I've implied to them, yes, I speak Spanish. Not well, but I can speak it. And then they, Donde es? But I can't understand a word they're saying. <laughs> so I get the instinct to learn more. And there's literally nothing wrong with learning more of another language. But in a travel situation where you're probably not going to be there very long. I understand. Yeah. It's not useful. It's kind and it's broadening your own horizons, but 
it doesn't help you any. No, unless you have a really good brain for languages where you can pick up and retain a lot quickly. For travel purposes, it may not work out. Unless this is somewhere where you're going to be repeatedly going back to, you want to be immersed in the culture and everything, then go for it. Just remember, just because you can say this sentence doesn't mean you're going to understand the whole reply. You know what is helpful, though? Google Translate. Yes, Google can be a little bit funky with its translations at times, especially in the languages that have smaller communities that speak them. But it's a good tool to have in your pocket, and it's going to be more useful to you than being able to say, where's the bookstore? I don't know. (laughs) Where is the library? That's always what you ask. We totally got asked that in Finland, too. That's true. A random couple came up to us and asked where the library was, and we had no idea. And then we found it later by accident. <laughs> but yeah, if if you need to know more than where is the library and that's all your language app has taught you, Google Translate could be a big help for both parties. I would just bear in mind, because I know this is something that a lot of people feel uncomfortable with, the idea of going to a place where you don't speak the language and figuring out how to get around. Just remember, so, so many people travel all over the world to countries where they do not speak the local language, and they somehow get by just fine. And if millions of people can do it, you can too. It's kind of scary to go out into the world and not feel like you can communicate to your fullest extent, but it can be done and you will be okay. Yes, you will. You will definitely be okay. And then, you know, as you're learning your languages and whatnot, you want to have some ideas of what you want to do in the cities that you get to. So hop on the internet or get the travel book because those are kind of fun too. Just take in a little bit of that information in at a time because if you're getting bombarded with a whole bunch of things of what you have to do what you must do what you have to properly do to do this country you're going to get really overwhelmed and it's not necessarily things that you're interested in so maybe give a time limit on how long to spend on the internet searching what to do and see and then after that give yourself a break planning it should be fun it shouldn't be daunting and just got awful you shouldn't stress yourself out trying to figure out what you want to see and if you have more ideas than what you actually get to that's fine yeah you don't have to do everything all in once no i think it's very easy to put yourself in a spiral there's so much information and you can get overloaded so quickly so really do pick a topic today i'm going to research restaurants in this city And then make a list of things that interest you, ignore the stuff that doesn't, and then close your laptop or close the book and move on for the night. Just set goals. I want to know this by this date. And then once you've hit that deadline, move on to something else. If you're not sure where, what, or when to see anything and you're going with a travel group, probably have a list of, hey, this is our itinerary of what we're going to do. Make sure the majority of the things are things that you actually want to be a part of. Don't go with a travel group just because it makes it easy for you if it's not how you want to experience this place. Yeah, at this point, we hope that you've probably booked all of that. But when you're back researching travel groups, make sure you're finding one that aligns with your interests because there are group tours that cover any number of topics. There's something out there that will appeal to you. Don't settle for one that you feel a little iffy about. And certain cities will have a city pass where it'll let you get into all these places at a discount or for free. And if you're there long enough and that's something that interests you and you're going to be doing a majority of those items anyways, that's a good investment to make. But remember that is an investment. So research, just look. Are there enough things on here that you want to be 
seeing and doing and using to make it worthwhile. The end. And if you are a person who is not traveling with a group, you're going to be extra brave and go on your own. I know that if you're anxious about traveling, your instinct might be to schedule your entire day, like a school schedule. I'm going to do this at this time, this at this time. I'm going to move on to that, that I get that instinct because if left to my own devices, I would schedule out everything always. But you have to... Nap time is between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. No, no, no. Nap time is only 15 minutes. We've got stuff to do. Oh, is that not part of that? (laughs) It's 15 minutes and it... Oh. Aren't like 30 minute naps... 30 minute naps. Isn't that the ideal power nap where you feel refreshed and ready to go? (coughs) You know who should take a 30 minute power nap right now? Him? Moose. I feel like he could feel a whole lot better about things if he took a little power nap. A nap will be 15 minutes and it will occur on a subway car between destinations. We have things to do. But yeah, no. Have a loose itinerary of things you want to do. Don't schedule everything from 10.15 to 11.15 because maybe you want to wander around this museum a little bit longer and really take things in because there's some sweet sassy baby Jesus. Without being somewhere, you really can't know how much something will actually take google maps might say it takes 15 minutes to walk between here and there but there's construction and you get lost and that 15 minutes can quickly turn into 30 without you realizing it if you schedule out minute by minute for your day you're bound to just be disappointed you're not going to fit something in that you think you could have yeah and if you kind of have an idea well i only want to see this over in this city but there's a lot more that i want to see in this city have that loosely planned out so then you can schedule some of your major transports if you need to take trains between the cities it's usually a good idea to book ahead of time usually cheaper depending on where you're at to book ahead of time too okay well i have about three days worth of stuff i want to see and do in this city but there's five days i want to do in this one so schedule your train and your hotels around what you want to see and not yeah how many countries you want or like cities you want to fit in activities not places what i've found effective is creating a pool of things i'd be interested in so i'll go into google and i'll pin 15 20 things that i'm interested in but i'll mark the ones that are priorities so you can see okay these are my big goals but look around here look at these other things that are interesting and are nearby so why don't i just do these while i'm on my way to the next thing Is this something I need a whole day for or is this something I can go in the morning and leave by the afternoon? Plus, sometimes for me, it's hard to visualize what is actually near each other. So in the past, when I've tried to do itineraries, hopping from site to site, I do things that didn't logically make sense. I'm on the north side of town and the next thing I want to do is on the south side of town. And then I realize, oh, wait, there was something up by the north that I wanted to do. So by pinning it all in a map, you have a visual representation of what there is to see and do, and you can make logical jumps from place to place rather than ping-ponging back and forth. And it maximizes your transportation. Yep, it'll save you money and time, so... Yeah. Then you can see more things. Eat more things. All the gelato. Yes, please. That's what our next trip needs. The map needs the regular pins and then an overlay with pins of just gelato places. Yeah, which is great because I'm getting all these Facebook memories from being in Italy and I'm like, man, that was some good food. (laughs) That was some good food. I miss it. Yeah, I miss gelato. 
We only have ice cream here. Germany's stupid. But you have spaghetti ice. That's fun. It is fun. That should be my tip of the week. Just eat spaghetti ice. When and out, eat a really good dessert. Okay, bye. Bye. Just kidding. Anyway, was there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, we're not done yet. (laughs) Probably just the overall thing is get your big things of your passport, your tickets, and your visa if need be. Get all that done and the rest of it's going to be okay. You might feel like you're forgetting a bunch of stuff while you're packing, but just remember, kind of only need your passport, your wallet, and any important medications. And everything else can be purchased while you're there. It'll be okay. And I know that what we said here is essentially don't give yourself more than six months. And that if this is something that is really anxiety inducing for you and you're really scared about doing it, I can see how that timeline seems short. But I would really, really caution against giving yourself more time because if there's an issue of anxiety for you, the more time you have to think about it, the harder it may be. I guess it's kind of a yes and no thing. I mean, if it makes you feel better and like you can get everything planned out with more time, then do it. But if you think extra time is going to make you overthink things more, then six months is totally fine. And with practice, you can narrow that window down a great deal. But I know if I had to plan something for over a year, by the time it came around, I would either be so over it because I've spent too much time ruminating on it, or I would be so thrown off by the fact that it actually crept up on me that quickly. You gotta figure out, are you gonna overthink this too much, or do you need that extra time to plan? It's a personal thing. You gotta do what's gonna work for you for you to feel prepared and ready to go. The fact that you're afraid something might go wrong shouldn't deter you from actually planning and going. I guess what I would say is, just don't get cursed by dolls like Sarah. (laughs) Don't get cursed by dolls like me. And then it's going to be fine. If any point you feel yourself feeling overwhelmed, whatever the reason for being overwhelmed, maybe put it on a shelf and give yourself some time to do something else. Put a bird on it. Put a bird on it. Put it in a box. Put a bird on the box. Put the box on the shelf. And just let yourself clear your mind and come back to it. It's going to be okay. And you're never going to be fully prepared for your first trip, your second trip, your fifth trip. Because life happens. Sometimes you hear a travel buddy is cursed by a doll, so things get a little bit more exciting sometimes. It's going to be okay, regardless. It's going to be okay. It's going to be a great trip. There might be hiccups, but it's all good. Yeah, there will be hiccups. There's no sense in striving for perfection in travel because you can only control you. And the second you step out into the world, there's a whole lot of rogue agents out there. So long as you're in a world full of other people, you cannot control everything. So stressing about finding ways to control everything is not going to help you any. So focus on you, focus on what you can control, and at some point, you just have to get on that plane. Buy the ticket, enjoy the ride. Whether you think you're fully prepared or not. Yep. Very true. Do you have a tip of the week besides everything else we just babbled on about? Yes. My tip of the week is that so for me personally the only time I feel anxious is on the way to the airport and in the airport waiting to get through security but one of the things I do is I put on 
I put a game on my phone that I can kind of lose myself in, something that's sort of zen-like and therapeutic where it's color this or fill this pattern, something that's not arcade style, something that's a little bit more relaxing. The kind of thing where if you were on a bus and you started playing it, time would pass really quickly because you don't, you're just kind of focused on something, simple tasks and whatnot. And I think that has worked really well for me. I don't stress out quite as much when I'm doing little menial tasks in a game with a pleasant color palette. So I would just kind of go into the game, the app store, find a chill game. Like Monument Valley is a really good game. It's sort of pleasing with calming music. And if you are stressed out at the airport, maybe you're worried about taking your first flight or your first international flight, download something like that to keep your mind off of it. AK, don't pick something that might make you rage quit. Yes. No one's going to feel better about that. But really, do check out Monument Valley if you haven't played it before. It's very cute. Yeah. I don't really play games on my phone. I go through spans of time. I'll go two weeks playing different games, and then I'll get bored and delete them. But it really does help me when I'm stressed out. For the past couple weeks, I've been really stressed out at work, and I downloaded a bunch of games I hadn't played in a while, and I realized, oh, this is nice and relaxing. (laughs) I quite enjoy this. Oh, I downloaded a game today where you just fix stuff for people who are sad. Like a little girl comes up to you with a tape deck that doesn't work and it has a tape in it with her mother's voice on it, but her mother's died and you fix it and you cheer her up. It's not a challenging game, but you walk away going, oh, I did something good. For once. In a game for a child who doesn't exist. (laughs) Don't ruin the moment. So yeah, I think that wraps up this week. I like it. I like it. Tune in next week. We're going to talk about a little bit more about travel anxieties because I think no matter how seasoned you are, you are not exempt from having these. No, absolutely not. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Oh, now I want tacos. Tacos are always a good choice. Just saying. This is true. Anyway, join us next week. Uh, We'll continue the the travel anxiety topic to try and help you ease your mind for your next adventure because it shouldn't be so stressful and anxiety-inducing to plan a nice, fun vacation. And we've both developed our own techniques over the last few years, so hopefully what we know may be helpful to you. So yeah, don't forget it's an adventure and it'll all be okay. Yep, you can do it. Just like what Rob Schneider tells us. Huh? Rob Schneider? You can do it? Uh, I don't know if I've ever sat through an entire Rob Schneider movie. I think it was actually an Adam Sandler movie that he- Waterboy. It's the Waterboy, yep. <laughs> yeah, never seen it. <laughs> wow. What's wrong with you? Oh, we do not have enough time left in this podcast to make a list. <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. One, sunburn. Two. Nope. Okay. We'll see you next week. It's an adventure. Bye. Bye.
Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to another episode of Seattle to Unknown. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe so you never miss a thing. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest under C2Unknown. That's S-E-A-T-O Unknown. Or you can check us out on our website, www.c2unknown.com. Want to know what we do on our off time? You can find both Sarah and I on Twitter and Instagram. Sarah is at S-A-R underscore S, and I'm at HooliganMonster on both. We would also love to hear from you. Send us an email with your stories and travel tips to c2unknown at gmail.com. Until then, it's an adventure. Bye! Sinking? What are you sinking about? Scones, damn it. I need scones. You're so close to scones. Go get them. Aren't we supposed to record? Scones take priority. Are you kidding me? Go get some scones. Bye, there's no episode this week.